Welcome to the One Question Podcast, brought to you by Wabi Sabi Studios. I'm your host, Michelle Cox, and I love having unlikely conversations on uncomfortable topics. It's a huge passion of mine, so much so that I wrote a few books a while back that challenge people's notion on living a life more unconventionally. This entire podcast stems around one question. If there was one topic you wish society would talk more about, what would it be? One day I looked in the mirror and every wrinkle, everything that I had been critical of up to that point, I suddenly loved. And I thought, oh my God. And if I wanted to see myself age, why would I erase that? Imagine going to the optometrist for a routine eye check and being told that you had a degenerative eye condition and you would soon be losing your sight completely. Fast forward to a few months and numerous tests later, you find out that the diagnosis was incorrect, that you in fact were not going blind and you were perfectly fine. Aside from celebrate, of course, that's probably the first thing you do, what would you do or change your life post this event? This was the experience of my guest today, Jane Tara, and I was keen to hear more of her story. Jane has published over a hundred children's books, several plays and five novels. Her latest book, Tilda is Visible, is part memoir, part self-help, and it's a fascinating read. Jane attributes a lot of her happiness in life to being a daily meditator, as well as being a sucker for a rescue mutt, and most of all, a front row cheerleader for her two sons. Jane also spent 13 years wandering around the world and lived in five countries, but is now the general manager at Australia's largest book review community, Better Reading. Let's meet this fascinating woman. Jane, it's so lovely to sit down with you. Thanks for coming on the show. Oh, thanks for having me, Michelle. I'm really excited about this. (laughs) Well, you've got a lot going on because the launch of your brand new book is coming out as this goes live in about a week's time. So congratulations on that. That's pretty exciting. It is. It's really exciting and it's been a long time coming. You know, I've been writing for a very long time and, you know, have a background writing children's books and educational books and all sorts of things. But to have the opportunity to write this novel and then have it published, it's just such a gift. Amazing. Well, we can't wait to read it, everyone, uh, and I'll have all the information in the show notes. But we're here to talk about an interesting topic with you, so let's get started with that. If there is one thing that you wish society would talk more about, Jane, what would it be? It's how to embrace ageing. And I not only wish that society would talk about it, but, like, let's be very specific, women. Let's all start really talking about liking ourselves as we age, about not being so hard on ourselves as we age, of not trying to erase our age. As you know, my my novel is about a woman who is diagnosed with invisibility. And I have these conversations with women all the time. It's a common theme. Women over the age of 40, 45 start to feel invisible And what I've discovered is that really invisibility starts with self. I know there are a lot of societal issues around that, but visibility starts with self and the way that we perceive ourselves. You know, I want to start 
more of a conversation, and I think it's happening at the moment, which is fantastic, but more of a conversation on how to actually embrace ageing as a woman. I love it so much. And uh, you're talking um, directly to me at the moment, Jane, as I'm going through a menopause moment, you know, as an ex-athlete, you know, always very physical and a voluptuous girl, I'd say, but, you know, a lot more musclier than my uh, sister or mother. So I've always felt a bit Amazonian, I guess, in that regard. But it's the first time in my life, I think, that I've been really harsh on myself and my body. And I was like, wow, is this what happens when you hit 50 and everything changes? And like, I can hear myself talk, which is really bad. And I'm catching myself out around it going, why? Like, this is a change. This is, you know, like other changes in life. Why am I being so negative? It's really interesting. Well, it's great that you are actually listening to that voice because a lot of people don't even realize that we have those internal programs and to really start to change the way that we perceive ourselves and the world around us, we need to actually address those internal programs. Your body probably worked to your advantage before as an athlete, you know, so you didn't have that negative loop that's happening now, or maybe you just weren't aware of it. I think it takes age to become aware of these things. And once you're aware of it, oh, you know, there's no going back. You know, the genie is out of the bottle. You can't put that thing back in. You have to actually face your internal programs and then change them if you want to change the way that you are and the way that you're feeling. So your book is called Tilda is Visible. And if you go to your website, the thing I was struck I loved straight away was your, you've got Jane Tara, older, wiser, visible. And it's like your mantra. Talk to me then about where you're at now, how you got here and how you stand in the power. Because that's like a really powerful statement to me when I was like older, wiser, visible. I was like, I love that. How do you stand in that power like that, Jane? And what did you do to get to that point? About 10 years ago, so I was right in the thick of what I call a perimenopausal storm. <laughs> it was awful, you know, and once a month I was I was crazy. It was crazy. I now know that most women, very few women don't go through this. It's a very common story. But I was handed this gift. I went and had my eyes checked and actually ended up going through a process where I was told that I was going blind, that I was diagnosed with a condition called retinitis pigmentosa. I was misdiagnosed. But that misdiagnosis didn't come through for three months. So I went through a period where I had to go to the Centre for Eye Health at the University of New South Wales, which is funded by the Guide Dog Association. So I had to wait nearly three months for that particular appointment, which I'd been told would tell me how long of sight I had left or how bad the degeneration was. I have a very unusual pigmentation in my eye and it presents as this condition. So I went home and in my book, Tilda is diagnosed with invisibility and does exactly what I did, you know, for a week, drank wine, sat in bed, researched, you know, just kind of went down uh, a pretty dark rabbit hole. And But then I started to research visual potential optometrists, what it means to see. I was reading studies. Uh, there's one study in Israel where people who are blind from birth were being taught to see through their chest. So 
the question came up of what does it mean to see? Like, what what does that mean? And I and you know, I know for anyone who's sight impaired, it's quite different. But the outcome was positive for me, and I got to ask much broader questions about what it means to see. How do we see the world? How do we perceive ourselves? So, a very strange shift happened about a month to six weeks into this process where one day I looked in the mirror and in that moment, it was like a flash. I looked at myself and absolutely loved my face. Every line on it, every wrinkle, everything that I had been critical of up to that point, I suddenly loved. And I thought, oh my God, I'm getting goosebumps thinking about it. Am I not going to see myself age? I just, I felt like a gift had been taken away from me. I wanted to see myself age. And if I wanted to see myself age, why would I erase that? You know, why would I not just embrace it? So that was a really powerful shift. And I know that shifts can happen in one moment because I've had one. That was 10 years ago. I just don't criticize myself. I just don't. Oh, look, there might be days where, you know, my pants are tight I'm you know but it's very fleeting I don't criticize myself that I'm aging it's a gift I really like the lines that I know have come from certain places and certain periods of my life on my face what an amazing I mean horrendous experience to go through let's just put that out there and how scary and frightening that must be but to have that as you say like this defining moment to sit there and go, actually, I want to see this happen. And yeah, how sad would it be, you know, to not be able to see myself age like that because I've lost my sight. Yeah, I can't even imagine what that must have felt like. It was really traumatic, actually, because, uh, you know, for months after I got the correct diagnosis, I was waking up and I could still feel it in my body, just going, oh my God. And then it would hit me and I'd go, oh, it's okay. I'm okay. So, In the book, in the novel, Tilda, when she's diagnosed with invisibility, she's forced to uh, face her childhood trauma. And I think that that is something that most women are called upon when they go through perimenopause and menopause, even if they don't know it. I think this is part of why it's such a struggle, because our internal programs get very loud at that time. And a lot of our internal programs, of course, have been installed during traumatic events. Now, the trauma that Tilda went through is my own lived experience. It's not something that I focus on that much. I've done a hell of a lot of work to get through it and continue to. You know, it's an ongoing process in life, but generally I have reframed my story in my past and it doesn't have that emotional charge for me at all. It doesn't trigger me at all. I can I can talk about it or not talk about it. I just choose to focus on sort of now and moving forward really. But if it in some way can help other people, because I think so many people think, oh, well, you know, it's easy for her to make a change in her life, you know, but not necessarily. Everyone's got their own story. No, I completely agree with you. And I think that's what a lot of people miss, you know, when they see those who are having an amazing life or, you know, they look really happy and they're wallowing in their own sort of self-pity or at a time and they're in a, you know, a rough stage and, you know, some of them may have done some work but need to do more. Some of them may have never done any work 
on this. And I think the stigma around doing the work, if we call it that, is is lifting. You know, more and more people are getting help with these, you know, traumas or experiences or even if you call it self-processing, you know, there's so much stuff. I live in my head so much. You know, I overanalyze. I think through, I'm a big thinker and my brain is always going over time. But obviously there's a good side of that, but there's a real negative side as well where you over-process, over-analyze and you're critical about things, especially with, you know, stuff I do and my myself and my body and things. I'm curious about the work that you've done and how you've really navigated now to be in a stage that, you know, you're getting older, your body's changing, your face is changing and you're embracing that, which is just so beautiful. I need some help in that area, Jane. <laughs> I mean, everyone's everyone's on their own journey and there's always, you know, something, there's always something that works for people if they just commit to healing, I guess. I'd been experimenting in the world of woo-woo, let's just say, for since I was in my early 20s, lived overseas for 13 years, travelled, I've done everything, everything, including, you know, Tilda in the novel goes on a 10-day silent retreat, the Vipassana retreat, I did that. I've meditated for decades and battled with myself. But then I discovered the work of Dr. Joe Dispenza, actually, and that in particular completely changed my life. I am a completely different person nine years on from what who I was when I discovered his work, thought, oh, this isn't for me. Oh, this is, you know, what do you mean neuroplasticity? What do you mean my internal programs? And then I can remember standing on a, a street, Sydney street at night under a, a street light. And it was the first time I was actually listening to that voice in my head and had full awareness of it. It was like I'd become the observer of it. And I went, oh, my God, I am really, really hard on myself. I didn't realise I was so in my head, so melodramatic and so difficult and so in pain, in so much pain, and that was impacting my life and my choices and so I committed to changing that. And his work was good for me because it involves neuroplasticity as well as meditation. So I was already doing the meditation. It wasn't working, but I'd never considered actually facing these internal programs and then rewiring them, changing them. Because that internal voice that you have can actually work to your advantage. You know, it's not always going to be nice and kind to you, but in the novel I call the voice Pearl. It's program, everything, always repeat, loop. It's just a program. So Pearl for me is like a naggy, nelly little old lady who sits there and just like goes off in my ear. And so I've learned over the years to just tell her to take a seat, to sit down. But now she's a little bit of a cheerleader as well. She's kind. She tells me, you know, oh, you look great or, you know, wow, that's wonderful or, you know, these positive things that are coming from me. I'm telling myself this. And that's miraculous when you start to be your own cheerleader, when you start to be kind to yourself. And you can do it. You just change the program. It's hard. It is really hard. I'm not saying that it's easy. The episode I did uh, recently with Tori Archbold about self-belief 
and uh, some of the tools and things that she talks about. And that's, this is an extension of that, isn't it? Yes, yeah. And it's a conversation that women are having. I love it. I love that this conversation is, and I was listening to that podcast as well. I thought it was great. She's amazing. I'm going out to buy her book. But it's also very much a part of getting older. And they say, get older gracefully, get older disgracefully, whatever, just enjoy it and embrace it. It's a gift to get older. And I think once you hit your 50s, you've lost people along the way who didn't make it. So we're lucky to be here, to have this experience called life and, you know, make it worth something. And the best way to do that is not to be, you know, going out there and trying to get things, but to be something, you know, and and to be something to yourself. And that starts with that internal voice. And the the old adage I always remember even as a young kid, you know, it's hard to love others without loving yourself first. And, you know, it's a big sort of component, I think, about being gentler to yourself. But I want to dig in a little bit around the visibility component. Why is it you think that women, when they sort of get to 45, become invisible in our society? There are so many answers to that because it is a societal issue as well. I like to come in from a personal angle and and come in at how we lose sight of ourselves. You know, I mean, I could talk about the patriarchy and all of that. Yeah, that's probably one of the extensions. I was going to say, do we allow ourselves to be invisible? You know, do we shy away because of that, you know, lack of self-belief and because we're not comfortable with our bodies or ourselves or, you know, our careers change or our kids leave us, you know, all the things. Is that is that why it's kind of this pivotal time? Yeah, it's all of that. And I'm careful with using the word allow, even though I agree that we do on some level. But I think maybe learn to, we learn to. We learn to put everyone else first. We get to a point Once again, perimenopause is a period where this happens and we are juggling so many things and putting everyone else first and we lose sight of ourselves. And this goes back to that experience that I had as well, you know, when I was told that I was losing my sight. You know, what does it mean to see? I realised I didn't know who I was you know, take away being a mother or a, at that point, stepmother and partner and all of these other things, take that away. Who who am I? You know, I've given so much of myself away in that decade of the 40s and struggled with, you know, stuff that was coming up for me from my past. So it's about, you know, learning to see ourselves clearly again. You can start in really small ways with that. So I ended up, you know, I had a breakdown of a relationship. I was alone just before I hit 50. I was going through this period where I'd had the experience about the site and now I was really deep in it trying to heal and learn how to see myself again. And I started being kind to myself by little things like no one's ever bought me flowers so I started buying flowers for myself you know I'm not the sort of person who goes and has like a pedicure or a massage or anything like that but I would go to a cafe and have the cake I started doing things and that 
I guess, small pleasures and in some way romancing myself, actually. Taking yourself out on a date, that's lovely. Lovely concept. Yeah, yeah, and just being kind to myself. And while I was doing this, these little kind of actions that I was taking, I was also constantly observing the inner dialogue as well and trying to get that to match. You know, as I wake up every morning and now I do it automatically, but I would start with, you know, just, oh, I'm coming into me, who I am, who I recognise as myself, you know, oh, what a beautiful day, you know, good on you, Jane, great to be here. Like all this positive stuff instead of going, oh, my God, I've got to get up for work and I've got to do this and my leg aches and my, you know, all of that, I started um, to retrain my thought processes around my day, who I was, how I was going to approach things, and that has been incredibly effective long-term. It's amazing, actually, something so simple, how it has such an incredible effect on you and on your brain. And that's the thing I think you learn when, as you say, when you have this observation that your voice inside your head is not you and you can kind of remove yourself a little bit from it like it is this third person almost or second person. The other part of that is actually how that language and you are in control of your brain. Your brain's not in control of you. And I think that's where people get a little bit tangled up. It's like, oh, I think and whatever. I'm like, you you have the power to stop that and you have the power to to change your mood just by reframing something. And to your point, I was saying, shit, I'm gonna, you know, I don't want to go to work today or whatever. Like, how lucky am I that I get up and I'm healthy enough and I can go to work today rather than being sick in bed or whatever. So lot of work I do in that space as well. You're right. The reframing is really powerful. And the reframing, you know, it has multiple effects on your body. You know, you have your thought, you have your emotion, then you have a physiological, biological response to all of that. Like it's a chemical cocktail that goes with that, which is, you know, fantastic. Look, if someone had told me, say, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, that I was going to rewire my brain and, you know, live a completely different life and version of myself, I would have rolled my eyes, seriously. And then just off on a little tangent, my son was diagnosed with severe dyslexia and it was affecting his mental health at school. And after about 18 months of this, it was a real struggle. I took him out of school. He was in year nine at the time. I took him out I took him traveling for a while and then I put him into a program called the Arrowsmith program, which is a neuroplasticity program and it's a Canadian program, it's quite famous, for rewiring the neural pathways in the brain. So he was in that for nine months. Some kids are in for a lot longer, but he was in that for nine months and I saw the process of what they did to rewire the brain of each student and for him. And at the end of nine months, he was retested and he went from being severely dyslexic to mildly so. And he, he just, you know, he's a neurodiverse, mildly dyslexic young man and, you know, wonderful. But he'd been able to kind of train out of his brain, his neural pathways, a lot of the the struggle. So that sat with me when I got to that point in my life where I thought something really has to change here. And my 13-year-old has changed his brain. You know, this can work. So I took that approach. I started doing it myself. You know, I'm 55. I'm happy 
I never thought I'd say that, you know, but I am happy most of the time. I love getting older. It took work to get to that point. And because I know where I came from, I know that anyone can do it. Jane, it's been such a delight to chat to you today. You need to come in the studio in Avalon and come and have a cuppa with me and we will continue this conversation. But for now, thanks so much for coming on the show. It's just really interesting to hear your story. We could talk for hours, Michelle, and I look forward to doing that in the future. (laughs) But thank you so much for having me on today. It's been an absolute pleasure. Well, there you have it. Wasn't that an incredible conversation? I hope you enjoyed it as much as I've enjoyed bringing it to you. If you did like it, can I ask a small favour? Please rate and review on your listening platform for me. I know everyone asks this, but it seriously makes a difference to help get these conversations out in the world and makes all the hard work and effort I put into this for you all the more worthwhile. And until next time, if you have one question you'd like to ask me, hit me up on my socials or jump on my website, michellejcox.com. Thank you.